Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Hey, Epic Church. Hello. (laughs) It's so good to be back and be with you this morning. Um, I have a quick announcement before I dive into my sermon today, and it's for the women in the room. I am hosting a women's retreat in Maui. I know it sounds awful, right? Uh, In Maui, second weekend in September. And I just want to extend an invitation to the women of Epic Church. Last year, God just began to speak to me of what it would take for us to come out of this pandemic and really launch forward into the season that God has for us. So many of us are like just kind of crawling out. Like we're tired, we've been pouring into other people, we've been holding life together, we're wondering if we still know how to dream. There are all these things. And so God just said, create this space, Ruthie, in Maui, bring women, eat great food, fellowship, spend time with me, and I just believe that God's going to show up. So if that sounds like something that you are interested in, you can go to my website, ruthiekim.com. You can find all the information, and I will let you know, because if you are anything like my husband, who likes a good deal, today is the last day to get the cheaper price tickets. So um, check it out. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Just leap right in there, and we can hang out in Maui together. All right, so I I recently uh, have developed a new habit. Maybe some of you have too. Um, I have just really fallen in love with that do not disturb on my phone. And I, I pretty much, my phone's almost always in do not disturb mode. And I check it regularly, you know, to see if anything's come in. But here's the thing. When you're like engrossed in something, you're focused on something, those pings... Those dings, those like notifications can be incredibly distracting. And I learned recently that it actually takes 23 minutes for you to return to the same level of focus that you had prior to that distraction. So we are losing 23 minutes of time every time we are focus is shifting to the wrong place when we are getting unfocused from what we're doing. And I don't think this is just a life problem or a work problem. I think this is also a spiritual problem. What do we lose when we become distracted? What happens when we lose our focus? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. We are going to be in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, a pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Jesus, as I was in worship this morning, I just felt the invitation for us today was to step into a place and just receive. 
that we've all come in here this morning with challenges, struggles, emotions, frustrations, and we can often enter into your presence just feeling like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do, God? What do I need to accomplish here right now? And I just feel the invitation for us this morning is to step into the place and just receive. So would you enable us to do that, God? Would you silence distractions in Jesus' name? Would you silence the voice of the enemy in the name of Jesus? And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come. Gosh, I even feel your presence so strongly in this room right now, God, that you are even right now putting your hand on lives and hearts and speaking. This move that you want to do this morning is not dependent on a sermon. It's not dependent on a song, Jesus. You can just do whatever you want to do. And we want to give you full reign for that today. Jesus' name, amen. The author of Hebrews is writing to a community that is facing some struggles. And he's trying to do what I think your community, your leadership is trying to do here, is to say, keep moving forward. Don't stop. Don't give up. You see that the audience that's reading this letter has been facing persecution. They are discouraged. They are feeling like they want to give up. And he's like, no, come on. Lean in. Move forward. And he uses the imagery of a sporting event, of a runner, Somebody that is running their race, going after some things, but he knows that there are things that get in the way of us moving forward. He knows that his, his reader is stuck. And church, sometimes we get stuck. We get our focus and our attention on something else. We become distracted and we want to keep moving forward. We want to keep going after the things that God has for us. But church, I want to suggest this morning that our capacity for moving forward is subject to our ability to focus. Our ability to focus. And this morning, I want to unpack four different places that I think sometimes we put our focus. Four different places that are distracting us from where Jesus wants our attention. So number one this morning, we become focused on our past life. Focused on our past life. Have you ever found yourself just ruminating on a memory? Just really sitting there and thinking, it might be a good memory. It might be something wonderful that happened in your past. It might be a bad memory. It might be a disappointment, a letdown, a pain, a regret, a mistake. You might find yourself thinking about things that did happen or things that you wished had happened. And, you know, that's maybe okay for just that fleeting moment. But what about when we just kind of reach back there and we grab a hold of that thing? And we just pop it open and we just begin to peek at that and focus on that and get stuck with that. Maybe it's your family of origin. Maybe you're thinking, man, man, if I had, had different parents or my story had been different and oh, the pain and oh, that was such a struggle and, and that was really damaging to my life. And there's just stuff back there in our history that sometimes we find ourselves just grabbing onto and just not being able to get free from. Maybe it's not even that far back. Maybe it was a conversation you had last week and you're just reliving it in your mind and thinking, I wish I'd said that differently. I wish that had gone differently. I wish I hadn't let the anger get the best of me. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that you're just like, I'm just, I'm just holding on here, just really stuck in that past moment. 
You know who really loves your past? The enemy. He loves you to just be stuck in your past. Whether it was last week or whether it was last year or 10 years ago, he'd love you to hang out there. And it doesn't even matter whether it's good or bad. Because for either of them, he has an appropriate accusation. You might find yourself just dwelling on, man, that was such a good season. That was so great. I just loved that. Such a great memory. And the enemy's just like, yeah, that's as good as it's ever going to get. I mean, that, that was it. You should, just, you should just hang out there and think about that because there's nothing better than that ahead for you. Or maybe it's the negative. Maybe you're just finding yourself dwelling on pain and loss and disappointment. And, you know, he'll come right in for that too. Yeah, you're damaged. You're so broken. No one's ever going to understand you. He's got an accusation for both because he'd love you to stay there. He'd love you to be distracted by your past. Maybe it's not memories. Maybe it's just the old way of doing things. You see, some of us are stepping into a new season. We've got God calling us into this moment of transformation, this moment of breakthrough and change, and we are trying to do things the way that we always used to do it, the way that we did it before COVID, the way that we did it back then. We want to reach back for those things. We're like, I I want that. I want to bring that with me. And God's like, no, I got something new for you, but we can't step into it because we keep reliving that old narrative. Maybe it's the survival narrative. It's the like, I just got to push through. It's all on me. There's not enough resources. I'm all alone. There's not enough time. And we're just trying to step into this new season of peace and grace and abundance. And we're stuck in that past narrative. I was chatting with my, my coach recently. Many of you know that I stepped out of my work at Because Justice Matters last year and kind of went into this extended season of like exploring with Jesus. And I remember one of my times chatting with her and I said, um, I just find myself, I'm just thinking about this decision that I made like 20 plus years ago. I'm thinking about like, what if it would have been different? And why did I make that decision? And what was going on there? I just kind of stuck reliving that same decision in my head. And you know what she said to me? She said, Ruthie, your brain would love you to hang out there. Because the thing about the past is it's unchangeable. It's familiar. Nothing about it is going to surprise you. Nothing is going to take you off guard. But the future is uncertain and it's risky and it's scary. And so when you are on the edge of transformation, when you are on the edge of breakthrough, often your brain wants to go back to that place where it feels safe. Let's just hang out here. Let's just stay in the past. Church, I want to say if you want to move forward, you're going to have to face your past. See, one of the ways scripture teaches us to move forward is to recognize that we have a different kind of history. That there is something behind us, speaking to us, calling our name, not to get us fixated on the past or stuck in the past, but literally to propel us forward. And the writer of Hebrews describes this as being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The Greek word here for witness is the same word that we get the word martyr, 
Witnesses declare what is true, what they have seen, what they have experienced. So this idea, this great cloud of witnesses, he's referring back to Hebrews 11, where he has been unpacking the stories of matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith. And he's like, they are your witnesses. They've been where you've been. They faced what you faced and they are saying, you can do this. You can do this. Keep going. Don't give up. It's the voice of Sarah saying nothing is impossible for God. It's the voice of Rahab saying nothing is unredeemable. It's the voice of Moses saying that no principality and no power will get in the way of the justice of God. See, this is what it sounds like, the voice of these witnesses. I love that the author starts this chapter off with therefore. Therefore, we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. You see, he could have put it at the end. He could have said, when you cross the finish line, there's gonna be this great applause. Everyone's gonna erupt and you did it. But he didn't do that. Because church, we don't need the witnesses when we cross the finish line. We need the witnesses when we're running the race. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes the days are really long and the seasons are really lonely. And sometimes I want to give up. And sometimes I feel like I'm all alone. And sometimes I feel like I don't know if I can keep going. And I need the voice of the witnesses telling me a different story. Because if I don't hear them, and if I don't listen to them, I am reaching back for my own story. And back there, there's pain and there's disappointment. And there's things that so could easily distract me. Church, I have a question for you this morning. What in your past is holding you captive? What is unresolved? What is unhealed? What is unforgiven? What memories or old behaviors are calling to you, saying, hang out here, get distracted here, don't worry about that race, just think about what was. What is calling to you? And whose voice do you need to listen to? The second place that we often get distracted is what I will call our pretend life. Maybe you've been asked this question at some point in your life. If you could start all over again, what would you do differently? What would you do differently? And you've probably learned a lot of things along the way in life. And you're like, yeah, I'd probably do some things differently. And there's nothing wrong with that question if it's a fleeting question. But what happens is sometimes we get stuck daydreaming, fixating, fantasizing on what I'll refer to as the pretend life. You see, the pretend life is the life you could have had. The life you could have had if you'd gone to that college, if you married that person, if you've not had kids or if you had kids. It's like the thing that you could have had if like your anger hadn't got the better of you or you hadn't wrecked that relationship. It's the life, the person that you could be if you hadn't faced trauma or chronic sickness. It's the person, that successful and confident and amazing, incredible person. Sometimes we get fixated on what could have been, the version of us that could have been. Maybe it's the version your parents wanted, the version they would have been proud of, the version of you they would have been pleased with. Maybe if you had lived that life, you'd have a better relationship with them, more money in the bank, more feelings of success. And we get stuck in this place of what could have been. And before long, we're starting creating plot lines and possibilities and people. And the thing is, this is where we go when we feel lonely and discouraged and sad. 
Like when this life gets too difficult, I'll just think of what could have been because, you know, that fantastical, perfect life where nothing went wrong, I could just hang out there for a while. And it takes up all this attention in our life and it distracts us. And the problem is that it's always full of disappointment. It's not real. It's empty. It leaves us hollow and unfulfilled and it never leads to faith or hope, and it never leads to God. And you know why? Because God can't meet you in your pretend life, just your real one. God cannot meet you in your pretend life. He can't meet you in this place of what could have been and what should have been. He wants to meet you where you are right now. See, God always operates in truth. And you know what? God doesn't need to borrow from that pretend life, some ideas for you as if he's strapped for ideas for your life. Because the reality is that the God possibilities for your actual life are way better than the fake ones your brain wants to offer you about your pretend life. The actual possibility of what God can do with you right now, it's so much better there than it is over here, thinking about what could have been. I mean, we could dream up all kinds of crazy things, but you know what? We can't dream or imagine what God has put for us and for our life. God is doing so much more. You see, the writer of Hebrews, he says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so often we get stuck here with this idea of sin. Oh, it's just all about the sin. But he says, nope, anything that hinders you, anything that causes you to lose your attention, to get distracted, your pretend life, if it's throwing you off, ditch it. If it's distracting you, let it go. If it's robbing you of what the best years ahead of you can give you, Lay it down. Throw off the stuff that entangles you. You see, for some of us, the pretend life is not what could have been, but is what we're trying to build on social media or the dating app or the church version of us or the social version of us. It's some kind of facade that we invest so much into because our reputation matters so much. We gotta build this big thing up here and we take all of our attention and we're so distracted over here and it's not real. You see, God wants to meet us in our real life so we can run our real race. So church, I ask you this morning, in what ways are you escaping to a pretend life? What ways are you escaping the pain and the struggle by going to that place in your head or that place online or that place with a certain group of people? Because you know, over here, it's probably better than anything God could do with my life here. Where are you escaping to a pretend life? Number three place that we get distracted is we get focused on a perfect life. We get focused on a perfect life. If I did a vote in the room right now and we talked about perfection, there'd be some of you here that were like, oh man, that's just such a heavy burden. Hate that word. Hate the standards that like, people have. Like, oh, perfection. Mm. Others of you would be like, hmm, don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like to strive for excellence. I like a high level of performance. I don't, I don't think that's bad. Maybe not. Maybe it's fine for you until you miss the mark. 
until you face the shame and disappointment of not measuring up. And there's that harsh reaction of like, wait, am am I a failure? Did I do something wrong? What's wrong with me? And suddenly it's not just about doing things really well and excellent. Suddenly it's about, oh my gosh, I missed it. I missed it. And the crazy thing about perfectionism is it's, it's never quite clear what it is we're going after. It's, it's always kind of just over there, just a bit better, just a bit more successful, just a bit more money, just a bit more happy, and the bar kind of keeps shifting all the time. See, with perfectionism, the eye is always on what could improve, and there's rarely space for celebration, rest, or grace. And you know what comes tucked in right behind perfectionism is its good old pal, self-sabotage. Because when we are in that place where we are so focused on the perfect life, building the perfect thing, we got to show up flawless, y'all. We got to be like so good at what we're doing. No weakness, no like unpolished presentation. We've got to be perfect. And so when an opportunity comes up that's new, that's unfamiliar, that we're like, I don't know, it seems kind of messy and I can't control it all, then we back away and we self-sabotage our destiny and our calling and our growth. And there is only a certain amount of growth and transformation that you can extract from your perfect life. See, at some point you'll get to a place where God's like, let's step into the messy. Let's step into the unknown. Let's step into the thing you've never done before. Won't that be fun? And we're like, oh, I'm going to pass on that one, Jesus. But what we don't realize is right here in the messy and the storm and the unknown and the unfamiliar was our breakthrough and was our growth and was our transformation. But we don't get it because we won't step in there because the perfect life is over here where we can control it. But you see, the writer of Hebrews He says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, not perfection. The race we're called to run is a race of perseverance, not perfection. You see, perfectionism is like this tight muscle in a runner. Running the race and you face a hill or an obstacle and you start, you keep going. You're like, wow, this this is uphill. This is taking me longer and I predicted, and this is harder, and maybe I'm not hitting the mark and the time that I want. And before we know, we're seized up. Perfectionism seizes us up, and we go, oh, hands up, I'm done. Oh, I can't do this. And we step out of the place that God is calling us into. But the goal is not perfection, it's perseverance. The invitations to endure, to finish, to keep going. The invitation is to stay the course, friends. Like some of your life right now, you're like, but if this was just better, if this were more perfect, nope, stay the course. Well, if I could just level up here and I could just prove myself, nope, finish the race. You see, God has you in a race and you don't need to run it perfect. So in what area of your life is perfectionism restricting your forward movement? I mean, where are you just judging? Where are you holding back? Some of you are playing it safe. 
Some of you have played it safe your whole life and you feel like this sense of like, I know I was made for more than this. And you come right up onto the edge of it, right up onto the edge of transformation and discomfort is so loud in your ear and the messiness, it just, it just like confronts your like perfectionism. You're like, I, I can't do it. And we back away again. And you've done this game a million times and church, I wanna invite you to do it today to break it, to break the cycle of self-sabotage, to stop avoiding things because you don't know how to do them. For some of you, you're stepping into a new season right now, and you are going to have to be a noob, as my boys say. You're going to have to be a newbie, a a first-timer. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to look foolish. You're going to feel like a child. But that is where the breakthrough is. That is where the anointing is. That is where your race is taking you. Number four, we get focused on our peer life, our peer life. The enticing invitation to look to the left and the right to see what our peers are doing. Maybe it's your friends on social media or just in your life around you. Like they are just, they're just like living life and they just seem to be doing great and everything just seems to be going well for them. And you're thinking, well, we went, we went to the same college. We kind of came up in the same town together. Like, wow, you really, hmm, you made something of yourself. That's amazing. And we're kind of reflecting ourselves and comparing ourselves to them. Like, how do I stack up against you? Sometimes it's our colleagues. We're like benchmarking according to like their success and their like gifts and accomplishments. Have you ever like doom scrolled LinkedIn? It's, 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 let's be real, okay? Sometimes you're on there, you're like, that's awesome. You started another company. Whew, good for you. Oh, wow, another promotion. Oh, you just got your PhD. I mean, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's like everyone's living their best life, and it can feel like, oh, my gosh, what am I even doing with my life? I'm 23, and I'm not a millionaire. I don't think I can live in this city. Maybe it's the house. You know, there's nothing worse to comparing yourself to people that don't live in San Francisco. It's like, I'm over here living in my closet, but you've got your mansion in Texas. That's great, you know? <laughs> or maybe it's that Peloton rider that you're just up against, and you're just like, I am, I'm going to push it harder. I'm going to do better. And some of you would say, well, what's wrong with a bit of healthy competition? And I get you, I'm down with some camp competition. But you see, there's a difference between seeing other people's success and letting that inspire you and spur you on versus criticizing yourself, feeling less than, feeling like the self-hatred. You gotta look at the fruit. When we're glancing left and right, are we saying, oh yeah, 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 that's cool. Okay, I'm gonna move into that. Or are we looking at ourselves and saying, what's wrong with you? A few years ago, a friend of mine got invited into an opportunity that I had been eyeing for a while. And I like celebrated her. I was like, this is amazing for about half a second. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my gosh, I've been eyeing that opportunity. What does this mean about me? And church, the way we answer that question in those fleeting moments throughout the day will either take us down a road to collaboration and community or the road of competition and comparison. You see, I'm not comparing myself to someone growing potatoes in Idaho, right? That, 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 that lane is so far away from me, I couldn't care less. You know what I am tempted to look at? The lane's right next to me. 
The people that are in my world, working in my company, doing the same kind of things that I'm doing, that's such a tempting kind of place to look to, right? And I can either look to those sides and say, oh my gosh, you guys are like killing it, running your race, doing so amazing. I suck. What's wrong with me? It's not enough. And I can get into that distraction. Or I can let that energy and that breakthrough and that success fuel me. I can look to the left and the right and say, wow, you did that? We are right up next to each other. I can do that too. Wow, you've seen God answer that prayer? I'm right up next to you. I can ask God for that too. You see, we can either be in our lane, drawing energy from the people next to us and letting us spur us on with the spirit of community. Or we can just hang out with comparison and competition and feel bad about ourselves. But you see, the taskmaster of not measuring up never produces good fruit, never produces life. Births envy and isolation and despair. And as Caitlin Bruce wrote on Instagram this week, comparison kills community. Kills it. Just suffocates it. How can I be for you? How can I work on your behalf? How can I cheer you on if the whole time I'm looking at you thinking, she's got what I want. She's got what I want. i got to do better. I'm so focused on me and my failure that I can't reach out and support you and draw energy from you. All of that distraction is just sucking, sucking the energy out of me. How can I run my race? A few years ago, I went to a winery up in Sonoma, and I went on one of those tours, you know, where you climb in a truck, and they drive you around, and they talk to you about soil and irrigation. And to be honest with you, I was there with some girlfriends for my birthday, and all we wanted was the wine and cheese plate at the end. Right, But he was like, well, let me tell you about the soil. So I'm like, okay, great, tell me about the soil. So we were like out in the vineyards, and this guy's talking, and he's pointing to this vine. And as I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's so pretty, the grapes, blah, blah, blah. And I notice right down at the bottom of the vine is this cute little shoot. It's like a baby shoot coming out. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, it's so cute. It's such a cute little, I wonder if that's going to become a whole new vine. And, you know, and I was kind of looking at it, and almost as if he read my mind, I'm watching him. He literally is given this presentation. He walks over to the vine and he snaps off that shoot. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. Why would you do that? Why would you snap off that cute little baby shoot that was just trying to make a life for itself, you know? And uh, afterwards, I said to him, I was like, what? Why did you do that? And he looked right at us and he said, because that little shoot is going to suck out the energy that should be going to those grapes. And you see, here's the thing, church. Vintners know what we as the church need to learn, that we cannot have any space in our life for the things that distract and siphon off our energy like comparison and competition. There's just no room for it. I mean, even people that make wine for a living, they're like, we know what needs to happen here. All the energy needs to go on the assignment, which is to grow grapes. And that means you got to deal with those things in your life that are siphoning off the energy, that are distracting you. And comparison and competition will drain your energy, church. And you won't be able to run your race. See, the writer of Hebrews, he says, we're to run a race that's marked out for us. Not a race for the person to the left or right. Not a, not a race for your sister, your brother, your mom, your roommate. Not their race, your race. You see, and what happened is I think that most of us, when we begin to drift 
into comparison and competition, it's because we've forgotten who we are. It's because we don't know our race. We don't know our gifts and our calling and our purpose. And so when we feel confused and we're in that place and we're just looking everywhere, it's so much easier to look to the left and the right and say, well, I'll do what they're doing. I'll, I'll take that. I'll claim that. But there's no grace for that. There's no anointing for that because here in your lane and your race, that's where the power is. That's where the breakthrough lies. That's where you get to run into everything that God's created you to be. You see, some of us need to remember that when we walk in a room, the spiritual atmosphere changes. I mean, some of us need to remember that wherever we are, whether we are working a tech company, a stay-at-home mom, college, whatever it looks like, wherever we are, that's heaven touching earth through us. Don't give that away. Don't give that away because you're so busy over here. No, no distractions, nothing draining or siphoning your energy, fully focused. That is who God's calling us to be because when we are in the zone, church, when we are in the zone, man, that's when we see the miracles break out. That's when we feel this level of satisfaction. You see, some of you are thinking that over here, you'll get that sense of happiness and fulfillment. But that only happens in your lane because you are uniquely designed for your lane. So church, let me ask you, who has your attention? Who is it in your world that has your attention that you are looking at, that you are comparing yourself against, that you are competing with? I just feel a word, like I didn't share this in the first service, but there's some of you here that you are competing with people in your family. And it's like you don't even really talk about it or know it, but there's been this unhealthy competition since you were kids. And I just want to call that out this morning. You don't need to compete with that person anymore. Jesus loves you the way that you are. He designed you with those gifts. Some of you have been like, like smushed because you're the, you're the feeler in the family. You're the emotional one. You know, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be, you don't need to do that. Jesus loves you just the way you are. He created you just the way you are. Some of you have stepped away from, you're not living with your family. You're doing some things that are different to your family. You've always wondered, have I, have I been disloyal? I just want to remind you this morning, you're to run your race. Not your parents' race. Not the person next to you, your race. So if we're not to be distracted... Where do we put our attention? The writer of Hebrews says that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. It almost sounds simple until we realize how easy it is to be distracted. There's another version of this, another translation. It calls Jesus the author and perfecter. I, I like that. I like that because when I think about the fact that Jesus started this, this, this life I'm living, this, this calling, I just get to lean in and say, you know what, Jesus, I didn't start this thing. 
I didn't put this call on my life. I didn't put these gifts inside of me. I'm just responding to what you've given me. I'm just responding to the lane that you've marked out for me. That means I don't need to worry about being perfect. That means I don't have to figure everything out. You are the author. You are the initiator. You are the pioneer. You laid this path for me. So I can just follow you through that and you're going to finish it. You see, some of you are here today. You're just like, I don't know how I'm going to get. He's going to finish it. Well, I don't know if I can. He's going to finish it because he is the pioneer and the perfecter. He is the author and the ender. He is going to bring all things together. See, we need to deal with our distractions this morning because we are out of the zone, church. Some of us, we're all over the place, but the power is in the focus. I want to just close with a story this morning. Invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And we're just going to move into a time of response. But I want to share with a story about my youngest son, Phoenix. He gave me permission to share this story with you. And uh, when he was about four or five years old, we were walking home from church one day. And I was just holding his hand and we were walking. I was like, so what did you learn about at church today? And he just looked at me and he said, Mommy, I don't believe in the devil anymore. And I was like, I don't know what they are teaching in Sunday school these days, but I'm going to sort it. That's what, that's what, that was literally my initial thought. I don't know what Bible they are reading. But then I paused and I thought, okay, let's just be curious. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And I will never forget what he said, four or five years old. He said, Mommy, I'm so in love with Jesus. I can't stop thinking about him. It's like nothing else is real. It's like nothing else is real. And I'm walking down the street and my four or five-year-old is schooling me in the gospel because I'm thinking, am I that captivated by Jesus? I mean, for him, it's like the devil's not real, life's not real, it's just Jesus. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, am I that caught up in the presence of God? that I could say the same thing. And church, that's the invitation for us, that we would be so captivated by Jesus, that we would be so focused on him, setbacks, disappointments, obstacles, distractions. They're real. It don't matter though, because my eyes are on him. My eyes are on him. My past life that feels like it just keeps crawling out of the grave and grabbing hold of me, I can cut that off right now. I don't need to hang out there. That pretend life that I've been running to because I didn't know how to deal with this one, I've been hiding over here, I can let that go because God's got better things for me than that fake world. That perfect life that I'm striving for, those peers around me that I'm competing with, I can let it go because I'm captivated by Jesus. Church, let's go ahead and stand Close our eyes, raise our hands to Jesus, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to just come meet us this morning. My faith is high this morning. Um, when you come out of a first service and you just speak to a bunch of people, like, oh my gosh, God was speaking, God was speaking. Like, it's easy to come into second service and just be like, God, I know you're going to do it again. You know what the thing is? Jesus doesn't prefer the 9 a.m. service. I know that they, I know the 9 a.m.ers might tell you that. They might say they're more holy, but it just isn't the case in the kingdom. Jesus is right here. Let's just ask him. Jesus, what would you say to us this morning? 
What's holding us back from you? What has us distracted from you? I believe that the Lord's just gonna surface some memories here this morning. Some of you are already there. As soon as I started talking about the past, you knew there was this one thing, that one person, that one story, that one loop in your head that you're like, every time I'm on the edge of moving forward, it's like it comes back. I know what that's like, church. I know what it's like to feel like you're trying to take ground and you're moving forward and then the old thing just pops up again and you're like, when will this end? Just ask this morning, Jesus, what do you want to say to me about that thing? How do you want me to get free from that thing? This morning, it seemed like the the word about self-sabotage really landed. Some of you are here this morning and you know that perfectionism has robbed you. It has stolen from you. And there's going to be an invitation to release control. And everything inside of you will not want to do it. Everything inside of you is like, nope, this is the only safe place. The controllable place. The place that's familiar. The place that you can show up and be perfect. But you can trust the good shepherd to lead you into those unfamiliar places. You can trust him to guide you through the mess. And to be your shield and your protection He's going to sustain you and he's going to hold you and he's going to grow you. And there are some things right now that some of you know, you're like, I need to step into that that place of obedience and I've been avoiding it. And I want to encourage you this morning, say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Let's just stay in the presence of the Lord, see what he might have for us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco. 